My name is Brett. I'm pastor of this people. It's good to see all of you, but especially those who are with us for the first time. Welcome. Or maybe you've been here for the last six months and you still haven't called us your church home, but you're doing it for an hour today. We're awful glad you're here. Thanks for coming. Turn with me over to the book of Corinthians. We're going to end our series on um, the spirit-filled life and what it means. Um, And today we're going to talk about spiritual gifts. We've talked about how important it is for us to look at how God created us from the beginning. That he created us as spirit beings. And when he breathed into Adam the breath of life, that was not oxygen. That was his presence. And that's what made Adam different from the rest of creation. That though Adam would breathe oxygen just like the cattle, he was made in God's image because he had God on the inside. When Adam fell... All of a sudden, the image was marred, and Adam began to live under a curse rather than a blessing, and we have been trying to get back to where we could be spirit-filled once again. We talked about what it meant to be born again, and that's how you get there, to have the Spirit living on the inside of you. And then we talked about the baptism in the Holy Spirit and how important it is to not only receive God on the inside, but to have Him covering you, to be enveloped by His presence so that we might have the power to be His witness. Being born again gives us the privilege of putting our reservation in glory. Being called his sons and his daughters. Being baptized in the Holy Spirit is that which allows us to help other people do the same. So we go out and preach so other folks can come to the knowledge of the truth. And then we've got the fruit of the Spirit. How important it is for us to manifest the character of God on a regular basis. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness. All these things which are the best indicators of how God treats us and we then want to treat one another. And today we're going to talk about the gifts of the Spirit. Turn with me again over to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. We're going to read verses 1 through 11. The title of the message is The Spirit-Filled Life, Evidence Part 2. The Spirit-Filled Life, Evidence Part 2. Now concerning spiritual gifts, brethren, I do not want you to be unaware. You know that when you were pagans, you were led astray to the mute idols however you were led. Therefore I make known to you that no one speaking by the Spirit of God says Jesus is accursed. And no one can say Jesus is Lord except by the Spirit. Now, verse 4, there are varieties of gifts in the same Spirit. And there are varieties of ministries in the same Lord. And there are varieties of effects with the same God who works all things in all persons. But to each one is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. Verse 8, for to one is given the word of wisdom through the Spirit, and to another the word of knowledge according to the same Spirit, and to another faith by the same Spirit, and to another gifts of healing by by the one Spirit, and to another the effecting of miracles, and to another prophecy, and to another distinguishing of spirits, and to another various kinds of tongues, and to another the interpretation of tongues. Verse 11, but the one in the same Spirit works all things, distributing to each one individually as he wills. Lord, help us as we study. Three things I'd like to draw from this passage. One, we need to be cognizant, aware of some things. Two, we need to understand that there is continuity in the Godhead with respect to the manifestation of gifts and the use of them. That all three, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, are involved in the gifts being effective for the benefit of people. And then lastly, your contribution. How do you manifest for the common good the gift that has been placed in your life? 
Now, in order for us to understand why Paul wrote what he wrote to the Corinthians, we have to understand a little bit about the Corinthians. They were a people that, that we believe were, were pretty, pretty adept at the supernatural. They understood it. It was not something uh, of which they were against. Um, the oracle at Delphi was one of the most famous oracles in all of Europe. In fact, we don't know of another one. And it lasted for a better part of 800 years. And this oracle at Delphi, Delphi was about 120 or so miles from Corinth, was famous enough so that people would travel to it. And the oracle at Delphi was this priestess. Her name was, or her, her title was Pythia, or Pythia, P-Y-T-H-I-A. And it was more a title than it was a name. And her responsibility, for the most part, was to give people wisdom and information about good decisions. And we think that there was some kind of supernatural involvement in it because there was a fissure. And it's long been kind of folklore that there was a fissure there. Not a person who goes out and tries to catch fish, but a crack in the rock from which exited hydrocarbon gas. And this hydrocarbon gas would cause the person who would sit there and sniff it to get high enough and inspired by things, to say things to people. There's an article in Bibli Biblical Archaeology. You can find it on the Internet that deals with this issue, written in May of 2016, that highlights all of the efforts that people have gone through over the last 120 years or so to find out whether this real thing that the, the, we believe the ancient Greeks believed in was actually true or was it just more mythology than it was reality and they've come to the conclusion that yes there was really an oracle at Delphi and people believe she had supernatural power and obviously as one got old another would take her spot this this would be an office um, this kind of of culture that's built in the Greek mindset allowed people to believe that, that supernatural things could occur they weren't very cynical. They understood that there could be information shared outside of natural understanding. Didn't come at it by way of academia. Came supernaturally. We see that Paul writes to the Corinthians about the supernatural and functioning in church settings more than he writes about this to any other church. He doesn't say this to the Ephesians. He doesn't say this to the Galatians. He doesn't say it to the Thessalonians. He is manifesting the concern he has about how they use gifts and how they determine that which is, is legitimate supernatural expression. And uh, remember, the Corinthians have no Bible. There's no standard. There's no idea about what the boundaries are. So Paul is creating them for them. And they really may not know that something that is supernatural isn't God. They might just think, well, if it's supernatural, it must be from the Spirit. And so Paul starts with, if somebody comes to you by a spirit and says, Jesus is accursed, I want you to know, that's not God. It's important for them to know how to be aware, how to determine that which is true and that which is not. If somebody comes to you and says, Jesus is Lord by the Spirit, that's God. That's a good thing. This is how this passage comes into being. 
It's not that Paul is just trying to determine who is a believer and who is not because there are a lot of people who might say Jesus is Lord but they really don't believe it with their life. Are you listening to me? So it's more than just by information. It's more than just a rote saying if you're going to be a real Christian. But if somebody does say it, they are doing it as a result of the Holy Spirit inspiring them to do it or or informing them to do it. It doesn't come from the devil. But this other thing, if they say Jesus is accursed, that's wrong. And you should not accept it, even if they seem to have some supernatural inspiration. And with the church at Corinth, everybody was trying to discredit Christ. Especially those who worshipped at a temple in Corinth called Aphrodite. The temple of Aphrodite? Hmm. Hmm. She was the Greek mythical goddess of love. Not agape. (laughs) Not unconditional love. Uh, 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 Uh-uh-uh-uh-uh. This is the other kind of thing that's confused as being love. And at the temple of Aphrodite, there were priestesses. Lots of priestesses. And they weren't holy. I can't say what they were. (laughs) But they weren't holy. And this would be a regular practice for people to come to the temple of Aphrodite and worship. It's horrible. So this is why Paul begins to talk about immorality quite a bit to the church at Corinth, saying, this, this is not it. I'm finding things in your church that I don't even find in the Gentile world. A man is sleeping with his father's wife, not his mama, his stepmama, or, or they had multiple marriages back then, so you could have another mother that doesn't have anything to do with you, but it's your dad's wife sleeping with his father's wife and nobody in the church thinks this is bad? This is bad? Are you kidding me? Stop it. So the Corinthians really didn't get a clue because they had all of these other ideas about how to interpret reality spiritually. So Paul is doing all he can to try to let them know there is a right way to do things. There is a right way to hear. There's a right way to think. And there's nothing wrong with telling somebody who is saying Jesus is accursed, there's nothing wrong with telling that person, you're wrong, don't say it again, leave. That's a good thing. And when somebody says Jesus is Lord, hey, they're on track. They may not be all right, but they're closer to the other guy, closer than they are to the other guy. I didn't say that right. They are closer to God than the other guy is. So it's important that they understand these things. And then he talks about the the gifts. And... It's, it's important within the context of, of this supernatural discussion about gifts that you understand one thing about your personal life. That everything about Christianity is birthed in the supernatural. Everything. We believe that a guy died, was buried in a tomb, and rose again on the third day. It doesn't get more supernatural than that then we believe that he can actually give us brand new life. We who are are destined for death have an appointment with the grave and should be judged for all of our life. We believe that he can birth us anew and call us, give us the privilege of being called sons and daughters of God. That it's not just a reformation of thought, it's a transformation of heart. We believe that that miracle happens in the human breast. We believe that. And may I say, that this should not be relegated, meaning the born-again experience, 
This should not be relegated to a somehow second-class miracle. Quantitatively, it's the greatest. The born-again experience is a miracle, and it is the greatest miracle. Now, qualitatively, it's hard to put a sense of which is better. The guy who got his eyes opened, or the unstopped deaf ears, or the devil that was cast out, or the born-again experience. Qualitatively, they are all amazing. They allow us the privilege of understanding what it means to overcome things that we naturally could not. But quantitatively, it is the best. And this is the reason. Anybody who has their eyes opened as a result of being blind, at some point, is going to close them permanently. So every miracle that God does, every healing that God does to the physical body, anything that he does to change circumstances in your life, to make them more right than they were, at some point, we're going to have to submit to the ultimate circumstance we cannot overcome in our physical body. And that miracle, though it helped us for a minute, didn't help us through the grave. Are you with me? We have an appointment with the grave and we can't get out of it. Yet the born-again experience is forever. It allows you the privilege of passing through the grave and coming to the other side in the beauty of blissful life forever. The born-again experience is the greatest miracle. Now, because we think it's just a change of thought and not a change of heart and a change of heart that cannot be wrought on our own. It can only be wrought if God does it. We cannot change ourselves. He has to change us. Because we, though, relegate it to a change of thought, we think that the miracles that happen outside are much more fantastic than that one. We think the healing of the, 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 the lame man at the gay beautiful with Peter, that's amazing. The guy couldn't walk and Peter pulled him up by the hand and said, in the name of Jesus, I don't have any money, but what I do have I give you. And he raised him up, pulled his head and said, walk. Wow, that's spectacular. He was lame for decades and now he's not only walking, it says he was leaping and praising God. And indeed, it's amazing. We don't need to, to, to somehow mute our amazement of what God has done. But when we think about the born-again experience, remember, it's quantitatively better. And since we have been born again, since we've experienced the supernatural just to get in this thing, why in the world do we not think the rest of our life shouldn't be supernatural? Why do we cut it off? Everybody enjoys our praise and worship and song. Um, I appreciate all the people that put a lot of work into it. I really do. They're amazing human beings. Amazing. And today we had our youth up here, and they did a phenomenal job. I mean, some of these kids are 13, 14 years old, and they're up here singing in front of you, and, and it's not a performance. They're really worshiping, and it's beautiful. Um, but, but every Sunday, you expect to come to church, and you not only want to see people up here singing, but you see the organ over here, and the keyboard here and the drums and the bass player and the guitar player. You say, wow, that's the way it's supposed to be. But what if you were to come in one day and all the, the singers were here with their microphones, but the band was missing? Now, you, would, you probably wouldn't be mad, but you'd say, huh, wonder what they're doing today. This is different. Unplugged, that's good. My, hey, I, can, I can do unplug. I can do an unplug worship. Hey, I can flow with this. I can flow. Okay. I don't know why, but I, I'll, I'll flow. I'll flow. 
you'd have to shift your mind to wonder why in the world is the worship team in song helping us worship without accompaniment. Jesus said in Mark chapter 16, verse 15, go into all this world and preach the gospel, baptizing everyone. And these signs will follow them that believe. They will speak with new tongues. They will cast out demons. They will lay hands on the sick and see them recover. If they drink any deadly poison, it won't hurt them. They'll tread upon serpents and scorpions. Five things. All of them amazingly supernatural. These signs will accompany those who believe. Now, because you know what normal is for our church and what worship and song ought to look like, it would be abnormal for us not to have the accompaniment with the singers. And you would walk in having to adjust to why are they doing this? Okay, I'll work with it. All of heaven adjusts to us when we don't allow the accompaniment he has designed in preaching the gospel to be a part of our everyday life. He's wondering, why are you living life a cappella? Did, did you hear what I said? Why are you living life a cappella? The supernatural ought to be a part of your life because that's how you got birthed. And so Paul is trying to help the church at Corinth to feel the right thing, to understand the right thing, and to do the right thing. And he says, now that we understand what it, what it sounds like when somebody's right, let's, let's talk about these gifts. And as we, as we begin to, to approach the gifts, we see that there are, that the, the, the entire Godhead is involved in the administration of this supernatural element. It says, there are varieties of gifts but the same Spirit. There are varieties of ministries in the same Lord. And there are varieties of effects but the same God who works all in all. So what we see is the entire Godhead in the process, there's continuity here, in the process of making sure that the gifts are performed well. Now, not too much needs to be taken from this when we understand that the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are involved in the gifts and that somehow one is involved in gifts, one is involved in ministries, one is involved in, in effects, and that maybe they couldn't bleed over one another. No, that's not the issue. The issue is Paul is trying to make sure he, we understand that, that all of God is in this. All of them. And if you look at how we posture ourselves toward the understanding of who God is and how he works... We see that God, the Father is, is if, if you're going to have to forgive me for these terms, he's the chairman of the board. There's a triune God. Three persons, one God. Three persons, one God. And this is not just a New Testament concept. It comes from the Old Testament idea of who God is and that we look in the book of Genesis and it says, when God decided to make man, let us make man in whose image? Our he doesn't say my. He says our. So there's a plurality, even in the creation of who we are, that he wants us to express in our image bearing of him. Let us make man in our image. And even though it is not a perfect fit, we have three parts to us for the most part. We have a body, we have a soul, and we have a spirit. It doesn't perfectly superimpose to the triune nature of God, but it comes close enough to where we can understand, oh, that's why we are the way we are. 
And when God created us, he formed us from the dust of the ground and breathed into us who he is. He made Adam a living being differently than he did the animals. The animals breathed oxygen. Adam breathed God. The pneuma of God came into Adam. And he was different than the rest of creation, though we all returned to the, the dust of the earth. We're no different in terms of our composition than the rats. We're not. Got the same kind of flesh, just different DNA. But when it comes to who we are on the inside, we are intended to be containers for his presence. Vessels for his use. Where animals can never be. And you don't evolve into that. This is why the born again experience is so important. You have to recapture the presence of God in your life. Not just develop a different theology. He's got to come and reside. His presence has to be there. God is just trying to get us back to the beginning. That's all he's ever been trying to do. Is to get all of us back to what he thought about when he thought about creating man in the beginning. It's a long road because we messed it up. We've taken so many detours and most of the time they've been in reverse. And God has had to, had to make a recalculating root statement all the time with us. But he has, he's given us a sense that there is hope. That something can happen when you are reborn and it can translate into something of a ministry because you believe that the supernatural ought to be a part of your everyday life. It can translate into a ministry whereby his presence is seen through you as you begin to perform the same things that the prophets did and the same thing that the apostles did. Miracle after miracle after miracle. It's possible for human beings to believe this way. So we have the Godhead involved. Now, when we look at the gifts, the Holy Spirit is what is involved in the gifts. And again, as I said before, it's, it's, uh, it's, it's something that happened long before we got to Corinthians. The idea of who God is. And we see God in the, in the Old Testament as the chairman of the board. He's the guy that makes the decisions, if you will. We see Jesus as the agent through whom those decisions are administrated. And then we see the Holy Spirit as the executor of what happens in the earth. So when creation happened, God said, let there be light. And then we see the Holy Spirit was hovering over the surface of the deep, waiting for God to begin to tell him what he wanted done. And he began to enact these things. And again, the, the titles that we give the Godhead and their function are not perfect. They aren't binding. They are just descriptive. That's all they are. And so we don't want to look at this passage where Paul is saying, well, the Holy Spirit only does this and the Father and the Son. No, no, no. It's, he's just trying to say that Godhead's involved. And when you look at what the Holy Spirit does, we're going to get to the gifts in a minute, but he says that the Lord begins to be the one who administrates the ministries, the services that are given by God. And we see these ministries and services, and they may be many more than what we find in Scripture, but these ministries and services are found in Romans 12 and in Ephesians chapter 4. Uh, Romans 12 talks about the gift of uh, being gifted to serve in the area of diligence. Now, everything that people have that, that allows them to do spiritual things is a gift. But some of those gifts don't actually work out into long-term service in that one area. Meaning, there is no ministry of tongues. There is no ministry of faith. 
These are gifts that God gives for particular moments. But there is a ministry of the apostle. Yet he is gifted by God in order to do it. There is the ministry of the prophet. There is the ministry of the teacher. There's a ministry of the pastor and the, and the, the, the evangelist. These things are ministries gifted by God, but administrated by, by um, uh, Jesus. And we see these ministries performing the, the work of God in the earth on a regular basis so people can begin to understand what it looks like for God to steward his people well and to guide them into his purpose rather than just being the firemen. Because many miracles, listen, everybody wants a miracle, but nobody wants the circumstances to produce them. We wind up in circumstances where they need to be produced. And so then God, God be, the, be the fireman. Put this circumstance out for me, please. And once it's done, we think, hallelujah, but it's not a ministry. It's a gift. When we talk about ministries are things that are ongoing. And then we have the varieties of effects. Effects are how you receive or how the ministry is perceived when you, when you get it. Now, I'm preaching using English, and everybody is he- here is hearing my language, and you're understanding what I'm saying for the most part. But everybody's getting a different message for what I'm saying. There's a different effect in what I'm communicating to everybody in here individually. Something's happening different. We also see that the, the gift of tongues has different effects. And we're going to get to this in a minute. I realize it is the most strange gift you've ever heard in your life. And you're scared of it. And you think, wow, I didn't know people could do that. And I don't know why people do that. But we're going to get to it in just a minute. See how natural it really is to be supernatural in that vein. So the gift of tongues was given to the disciples on the day of Pentecost in Acts chapter 2. And they, the Holy Spirit came on. They began to speak with other tongues. They spilled out into the streets of Jerusalem. And it says that as they were speaking in other tongues... It says the people around them who were in the city heard each of them speaking in the language to which they were born. Egyptians, Parthenians, Medes. Now, I don't know whether those people who were speaking in tongues were actually speaking in those languages. Don't know. But I do know that the people who heard them speaking heard them speaking in those languages. And it could be that Peter was speaking in one tongue, but it was being heard in five. Different effects... For the same thing. I wouldn't mind if it was fine that all of them actually spoke in those languages. But it doesn't seem to be that was the case. There were so many people hearing them in so many different languages. Secondly, we see a different kind of effect in the church. It says in Corinthians that when a man speaks to God, he speaks mysteries. He doesn't even know what he's saying. But he speaks mysteries that are glorifying him. And when somebody speaks in the church with respect to tongues, that there needs to be somebody there who can interpret because nobody understands what he's saying. Well, everybody understood in the book of Acts chapter 2, but nobody understands in the Corinthian church? Interesting. So we have different effects that manifest then, different needs and different gifts in order to manage the effects. So God can do many things with one thing. You ought to be happy about that because there's not enough time for you to be really great at everything. What you want is God to be able to speak through you in one way and it means seven. It changes everybody's life. Oh, I didn't even mean to say that, but I'm glad you got that. That's good. That's good. That's real good right there. That's good. That's good. That's good. Different effects. And he has to do that because we just are so flawed. We, aren't, we don't have the endurance, we don't have the patience, we don't have the knowledge, we don't have, the, we don't have any of it. And so he's got to say, okay, let, let, me use this one, let me use this little black man to do as, as much as I possibly can, even though he's not very smart. Thank you for not laughing. 
And then we have the gifts as I close. Your contribution. There are, there are two categories of gifts that we see outlined here. I don't, know, I don't know if there are more. There could be, but there, there are two. You have verbal gifts and you have power gifts. Verbal gifts are prophecy, word of wisdom, word of knowledge, tongues, interpretation of tongues. These are things that the mouth does. Power gifts are faith, healing, miracles, and discerning the spirits. Let me give you some examples of all of them. Word of knowledge, Jesus with a woman who is at a well and he sees her and she's drawing water and Jesus is there and he says, give me something to drink. She says, you, you, why, why are you asking me? I'm a Samaritan. You shouldn't be asking me. He said, well, if you knew who I was, you'd ask me and I'd give you water that would never run out. She said, give me some of that water because I don't want to keep drawing from this well anymore. And they have a conversation theologically, which is a huge mismatch, huge mismatch. Jesus is playing along because he's going, going somewhere with this. And as they begin to have the conversation theologically, he says, ah, about time to get your husband. Could you go fetch him? Um, I'm not married. Oh, you said right. Yeah, you had five husbands, and the man you're living with now ain't yours. Oh, I perceive you're a prophet. <laughs> what was that? He didn't prophesy a thing. Prophecy is speaking the word of God for direction, consolation, encouragement, benefit to somebody else that lets them know either what not to do, what to do, how to prepare. This was just information. This is all about her past. Word of knowledge. Information that is shared from God on behalf of people or a people that cannot be ascertained naturally. It's not just because you got smarter. It's God told you. And by the way, just FYI, in the realm of the supernatural, God talks. And he likes to talk to his people. Word of knowledge. Word of wisdom. Jesus is there in Jerusalem. The Pharisees are trying to catch him in a situation where, out of which he could not get. Jesus, should, should we pay taxes to Rome? Now, the Jews weren't supposed to. In the Old Testament, they said they weren't supposed to pay taxes to anybody. Improper. Not God's best. Improper. But if Jesus said yes, he'd be seen as a sellout to Rome. If he said no, they would then accuse him to Rome and say he's, he's committing an act of treason and saying we don't need to pay taxes. Catch 22. He's in trouble. Everybody's looking and saying, mm, how he going to deal with this? Mm. Give me a coin. Whose picture's on the coin? Caesar. Well, why don't you give him what's his and then give God what's his? Oh, geez. Oh, my goodness. That's amazing. Did you hear? Did you hear? Where'd this brother come from? Man, I ain't heard nothing like that ever, ever. I mean, he just wiggled right on through that. Catch him, try to get him, entangle him. He, and he came out making them look like fools. That was mm, mm, word of wisdom. Anybody need wisdom? You come to situations you don't know what to do. You don't know decisions to make. You got knots that are untieable on your own. You can't figure it out. And then God just says, boom. Oh, it's beautiful. We need this gift. Remember, this is supposed to be for the common good. 
These gifts are supposed to help us. You exercise them, somebody else receives them. Prophecy, speaking on behalf of God for the benefit of people or a people group. It's supposed to be for encouragement, consolation, comfort, sometimes for direction. It's beautiful. We have prophets in our midst. Chris Clark, my dear friend, is one. Jim Critcher is our lead prophet in the church. Pastor Danelle Perkins. We we have a school of the prophets here where we are training prophets to know how to hear and then, better yet, how to speak what you hear. Because you may hear accurately and speak inaccurately. Sometimes you don't say everything you know. God may reveal a lot of stuff to you, but that person may not need to hear everything you know. How to speak. Training people to do that. Tongues. (laughs) Okay, here we are. Here we are. Tell me, Pastor, what am I supposed to do with this? All right. And I've said this before. Naturally, you don't know it, but you speak in tongues all the time. Not spiritual ones. Natural ones. Now, speaking in tongues, by definition, is saying things out of your mouth that are unintelligible. A language that is unintelligible. There is no translation for it. There is an interpretation, but there is no translation. So, if I say something that causes you to think, that was really funny, what do you do? Laugh, right? Well, if you thought it was funny, and you could express yourself cogently in English, why don't you just say, that was funny? Help me. Translate ha 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 for me. Translate it. Can't. I can give you an interpretation, but I can't give you a translation. Unintelligible speech. And yet you do it regularly. But we think it's okay and there's nothing wrong with it because everybody does it. But why do you laugh? Because on the inside, there is something that cannot be expressed unless it comes out in a way that bypasses English. And so you laugh in order to communicate what you really feel about it rather than saying, that was funny. God gave you that. Same thing with crying. Stop. I mean, that's even more pitiful. What do we know? They're bearing unbearable sorrow. But it's unintelligible. But it won't work to just say, I feel bad. And so God allows us the privilege of expressing things on the inside, bypassing English, so that we can express it more clearly. Now, English is, is, is a marvelous language. It's just like any other. It allows us to communicate well. But, 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 let, but let's, 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 let's just think about it for a minute. First of all, English is imperfect. I think, I think they, they, they make a new dictionary about every two years. Why? Well, the human experience hasn't changed. We are just coming up with new ways to express it. And we can't find a word. So we make one up that says this is what we mean. And then there are some words that have changed over time. And we need to adapt our new dictionary to these old words, such as the word space. Space used to be a place within a place. Now space is, I feel I need to come into a new space in life. Are you moving? Are you moving? Is that what you're saying? 
You're relocating. No, 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 no. My soul just needs to come into a new reality. You call that space? You call that space. Now, I don't have a problem with it. Language changes. We all change. I get it. I'm not trying to be an old fuddy-duddy that holds on to old English. King James is not what I speak. So I'm, I'm, I'm very open to change and happy about it. I just want you to know that it evidences the fact that whatever we're doing with English is not static. It's changing as we change. It's not a perfect language. Secondly, last I checked, you and I are both imperfect. And we got to see in English. So we have an imperfect language used by imperfect people imperfectly trying to communicate with a perfect God? Why would you think English would ever suffice? Why do you? God is now giving you a brand new gift in order to communicate to him things you never could in English. And he's bypassing all the syntax, all the grammar, the conjugation of verbs and declension of nouns. He's bypassing all that so that you can talk to him freely without impediment. Not always trying to find the right words. Because after a minute, listen, I, I pray a little bit. I pray a little bit. And after a little bit, saying I love you, you run, you know, he's heard it enough. I praise you. He's heard it enough. Uh, I want to be able to communicate things. Because it's the only way viscerally I can let him know how I feel. That's all tongues is, y'all. That's all it is. It's not weird. It's God's gift. Now, if you do it in a service of worship, whether it be in a small group or a prayer meeting or in a Sunday service, we don't have it here intentionally because there are other places that we can have the gifts served rather than here and that we have so many people who don't know anything about God. We're not trying to make this a catch-all thing where every gift has to manifest itself on a Sunday morning. That just doesn't make any sense. We're trying to introduce very simple principles to people so they can better follow. And that within an hour, we'd need six hours to try to do everything that everybody believes is important to do according to the Bible. And so we cut it down and then we do other things in other places. And we make our worship a worship of a week rather than a day. Are you with me? So we've thought about all this and how we can administrate the gifts of the Spirit. You want to see more gifts of the Spirit? Come on Wednesday night. We do that. Then we've got a prayer meeting on Friday night that's really up there. I mean, it's not a moment for you to come and say, please pray for me. No, 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 no. This is a prayer meeting where you are now used by God to say things, prophesy things, bring things into existence that do not exist, partner with people for two hours, three hours of worship. No, this is not for the faint heart. This is, this is serious here. So we have many different ways where these things can go. But in order to, to have tongues work well, you've got to have an interpreter there who can say, for the benefit of the people who are congregationally gathered, this is what this means. Because if somebody speaks in tongue again, nobody else is getting it. But the reason to have somebody speaking in tongue publicly is so that everybody can be edified. It's not so the person can be happy that they praise God in a language unknown. It's so that everybody in the room can say, oh, that was beautiful. I get it. And in the church in Corinth, everybody was speaking in tongues because they had this beautiful gift, but nobody was interpreting. And everybody was saying, I don't get it. I don't get it. And Paul had to say, listen, I want you to speak one word in intelligible language of prophecy Rather than a thousand in tongues, because the whole point is for people to be edified. That's why you gather together. It's not for you to just express your gift. Remember, this is all for the common good. 
not for you. The gift is not for you. The gift is not for you. But you need to eagerly seek it, it says in 1 Corinthians 14, verse 1. Eagerly seek it. Why? Because you care about people so much. You just want them helped. And sometimes theology doesn't help enough. Paul said, I came to you not with with fleshly words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit's power. We don't have to live a cappella. We can. But all all of heaven will just say, I wonder why they like living that way. There's so much more. And then lastly, discerning the spirits. Discerning the spirits doesn't mean that you're always looking to try to find that one thing that isn't quite right. You got your infrared glasses. (gasps) Oh, three o'clock. Devil, devil, devil right there, right there, right there. It's weird. It's just weird. Let me tell you what discerning the spirits is. It's a gift that God gives in order to help you know that which you need to hear and that which you don't. That which you need to follow and that which you don't. And the best way to discern whether a spirit or a person is of God and not is not to try to go look for that which is wrong, but to study the real. Our treasury department teaches all the agents who are over-counterfeiting how to determine whether a bill is real or not, not by looking at counterfeit bills, but by studying the real. And so for the $100 bill, they'll study it for weeks, months, every little detail on the thing until it is emblazoned in their soul. And after studying the real so much, it's easy to identify the false. Read your Bible every day study the real and then all of a sudden as soon as you hear something that isn't right you go oh that's not right you're not just looking you're not looking for it all the time you just are able to know when it shows up these gifts allow us to benefit the body allow the body to grow up and even more importantly although more would probably be the wrong adverb to use I want my community helped with the supernatural. I don't want us just to enjoy the gifts among ourselves. I want us to get out there and find people who desperately need to know about Jesus and and words just don't cut it for them. I'm not trying to get in a debate. I don't want to get in an argument with someone about who Jesus is. I want to manifest who he is with power, with the supernatural. And I believe it's entirely possible Now, if you're a cessationist, which is somebody who thinks that these gifts no longer exist because they passed away with the first century church, I understand. That's that's a common belief amongst uh, a bunch of people. I, I get it. I am not trying to fight with you on this. All I'm trying to do is let you know that this is what we believe, and we believe it should be practiced on a regular basis because we think it's a benefit that God gives to his people. Let's pray. Daddy, I love you. I thank you for your goodness and grace. Empower us to be the kind of folks that can serve you well in these areas.